If you have your Bibles or your apps, let's open up to Genesis chapter 29. And just keep your Bibles open there. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but I'm going to be jumping around to different passages to kind of highlight uh, some key moments in uh, Jacob's life. Uh, For the past several weeks, we've been looking and getting an inside look at one of the most dysfunctional families, I believe, in all of Scripture. Uh, We have Isaac, right, and his wife, Rebecca, and their two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau being the older one and Jacob being the younger one. And this was a house truly divided, right? Isaac favored his older son, Esau, and Rebekah loved and favored the younger son, Jacob. Uh, They were truly divided. They had their own favorites. But one thing that, kind of a side lesson to learn from this story and the life of Jacob is don't mess with a mother's love. Don't mess with the mom's love. Don't get in between mama bear and their cubs, because ultimately, who wins out? Rebecca does. Rebecca comes up with this elaborate scheme, right, to steal right, Esau's inheritance and to give it to her younger son. Right? Involved a goat fur, uh, to put, a goat skin to put on the arms and the back of the neck. She perfected Esau's meat stew, which is pretty hard to do, but she perfectly replicated it and gave it to Isaac. And after encountering, right, an imposter eating this meal, what happens? Isaac ends up giving the inheritance to Jacob, right? A successful mission, a successful uh, uh, deception of Jacob and his mother, Rebekah. And now Esau finds out that his blessing is stolen. He's angered, rightfully so. This was his well-being. This was his future. Now it was stolen. He finds out. He's like, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob is now on the run for his life. He's running away from a brother that wants to kill him. But Rebekah tells him, hey, go. Go to Haran. Go to Haran. My, my brother is there. Your uncle Laban is there. Go there and just chill out for a little bit so that your brother's anger can subside. Right? And also, ultimately, you should find your wife there as well in Haran. So now Jacob is on the run for his life, heading towards Haran. And in the middle of the journey, he decides to take a pit stop. He rests his head on a stone. And what happens? He has this amazing dream, right? A stairway ascending to heaven, angels descending and ascending to heaven. And at the top of the stairway, God is there. He sees God and God speaks to him. He makes a promise, the same promise that he makes to his father, Isaac, and to his father's father, Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have land. You're going to have multitude of children. You're going to be blessed. And I'm going to, I'm going to protect you and provide for you the entire way. Now, you got to imagine where Jacob is right now. He's on the run for his life. He has no longer a home. He has no family, nothing to his name. He is scared. He's insecure. He doesn't know what his future holds. And God makes this amazing promise. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a great nation, countless children. And the whole way, I'm going to protect and provide for you. You have to imagine and put yourself in Jacob's shoes. This was an amazing promise of comfort. That Jacob, Jake, it was a timely, timely promise that God made to Jacob. Jacob believes in God's promise. He worships God and he makes a vow before God. 
And now this is a turning point of Jacob's life. His life will never be the same again. So after this mountaintop experience, this high that he has with God, God now leads him to Haran, the destination where his mother, Rebecca, told him to go to. He meets Laban, his uncle, and he also encounters Rachel, the younger daughter of Laban, and he falls in love. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 29. We see that God's Jacob, like this high experience that he has with God doesn't last all that long. And the dysfunction in this family continues. So if you can with me, uh, let's look at verses 21 through 30 in Genesis chapter 29. Let's give our full attention as I read God's word for us. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. This is God's word. Amen. Right? Dysfunctional families. Right? Complete dysfunction. It's a reoccurring theme that we see in Genesis over and over again, starting from Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and his sons. Family after family, just dysfunction after dysfunction. Yet God's plan from the very beginning to save sinners was to bless one family to bless all nations. This was God's original plan. Families, right? Abraham and his family were to bless all the nations of the world. And this is still God's plan, to use our families and to use this family, All Nations Community Church, to bless the world. Sounds great, right? So ideal. But the problem with, problem with this plan that God had with families, right, to bless families, to bless all the nations of the world, is that family is messy. Right? Relationships can become messy and dysfunctional. And we all face brokenness and conflict and dysfunction in our own relationships with our own families. Right? The people that are closest to us actually harms us the most and the deepest. Right? Most of the pains that we have and the deep hurts that we have and the scars that we have come from the closest members of our family. Isn't that true? But yet, this was God's plan from the very beginning, to bless a family, to bless the world. And so many of us, we sit in our chairs experiencing our fair share of dysfunction, of having scars from our parents, from our spouse, from our children, from in-laws, and extended family. And so there are those here with deep wounds 
still trying to heal from the brokenness that we experience in relationships. And the question that I want to ask us is why? Why? Why are relationships so difficult? Why is there so much relational conflict in our lives? Why is our marriage dysfunctional, our families dysfunctional? Why are our children dysfunctional? And why do we hurt one another? See, what Scripture makes clear, and what the, the accounts in Genesis tell us, is that conflicts and dysfunction arise due to unfulfilled passions and unmet desires. Let me say that again. Conflict and relationships arise due to unmet desires and unfulfilled passions. It all leads to this idea of desire, my desire, what I want, my expectation. If you look at scripture, look at your own lives, and you see all the conflict, the reason is desires. And we'll see this once again in our passage. I want to share two byproducts of our desires. The first one is deception. The second byproduct of our desires is disillusionment. And I want to close by, by talking about God's divine purpose, divine purpose in our conflict and dysfunction. So deception, disillusionment, and divine purpose. So first, deception. Deception. Right? Conflict and dysfunction has a direct correlation with our desires and passions and our relentless pursuit of those desires, even if it means that we need to deceive one another. So first, deception. And this, this word deception can summarize Jacob's life, can't it? Uh, it the, the whole uh, story of Jacob can, can be summarized with this idea of deception, but now the script is about to flip on him. Uh, the tables are about to turn. See, Jacob arrives at the place that he was supposed to arrive, but he sees a well. He sees a well and he sees shepherds there. And he has these shepherds, hey, do you guys know Laban? Like, yeah, I know Laban. And while, they're, while he's talking to the shepherds, Rachel walks in and we find out she's beautiful. And now Jacob wants the shepherds to leave because he wants to be alone with Rachel, right? And what he does is a typical guy thing. When he sees a beautiful girl, adrenaline rush comes in. There's a huge stone covering a well. He like pushes this stone that takes a lot of, a multitude of men to actually remove. He himself pushes it away so that Rachel can feed the flock. Right? This, is, this is a typical guy thing to do, right? This adrenaline. And you have to understand, Jacob was a domesticated man. He was better in the house than outside the house. And so for him to actually move the stone was a pretty big deal. And then he has a conversation with Rachel. Hey, who's your father? And she's like, Laban is. Take me to him. Right? And there's this kind of rejoicing because now finally Jacob arrived to his point of destination. He meets Laban and Laban busts out in a song. Oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Basically saying, you are my family. You are welcomed here. Now you have to think about this once again. Jacob has nothing but now he finally arrived in Haran. Security, comfort, familiarity, family, right? He's arrived. Finally, he's going to be able to live a life that God has promised. But we know that's not true. That is not what happens. Little does he know that deception runs on the mom's side of the family. His, his, his uncle is, is, is pretty... He's pretty gross 
in what he does. But yet God led him to Haran. God led him to Haran. So Jacob now starts working for Laban, but after a while, Laban's like, hey, I can't just have you work for me for free. Name your wage. What do you want? And of course, after seeing Rachel, he's like, I want Rachel. I'll work seven years for Rachel. Now, that's crazy. Seven years. There was a bride, pi- bride price back in the day, right? But what he's offering far exceeds the, the, the standard amount for a bride. It's crazy. Seven years of labor. Give me Rachel. Give me Rachel. It's an absurd offer, an offer that Laban cannot refuse. That's basically that. That's how in love, infatuated Jacob was with Rachel, that he would just offer this absurd amount of work, free labor for seven years. That's crazy. And it's, what's, what's interesting in these seven years of work, there's no mention of Jacob. It's just kind of, he worked for seven years. Now, this is good. good. Like, no news is good news for Jacob. Because we, we realize he's kind of changed now. In the seven years, he's actually working hard for Laban and, and, and being true to his commitment. Seven years. And this is, this is something that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around, especially millennials. We, we're into instant gratification, instant results, right? When I confessed my feelings to Jane, this is before we were married, and like I wanted to date her, my wife, Jane, um, I said, I like you. Please, give me a shot. Let, let, let's date. She's like, give me one week, seven days to think about it. I nearly died those seven days of just torture. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait this long, right? But I had to give her those seven days. It was almost impossible. But seven years of labor, right? Seven years of labor. But Jacob said those seven years felt like days. That's, that's love, right? That's amazing. It, it barely felt like anything because that's how much in love he was with Rachel. Now he goes to Laban. He's like, hey, give me what's mine. I worked for seven years. So he throws this celebration, right? And Jacob gets pretty happy during this wedding celebration, right? And in the middle of the night, in the darkness, he doesn't bring Rachel to her. He like bait and switch. He brings Leah into the bedroom and they consummate this marriage. Like, can you imagine waking up expecting to see Rachel, but you see Leah? The utter shock. And, and why, is the, why is this a problem? Why is Leah such a problem for Jacob? The Bible tells us, and the scripture tells us that Leah was weak-eyed. And I know that sounds like an interesting description. Like, you don't, like, insult people because they have weak eyes. But in this culture, what that meant was there was nothing special about Leah. There was no sparkle in her. But Rachel, on the other hand, was beautiful in appearance and shape and form. So in cultural, the culturally, Leah had nothing attractive about her. Can you imagine waking up to Leah? But that's what happens. That's what happens. Jacob works seven years, but instead of getting Rachel, he gets Leah. And that is horrifying. Horrifying. And so he goes, and, and so then he strikes another deal with Laban. Right? Just finish out this week of marriage. That's what he's saying. Finish out this week of marriage with Leah, and I'll give you Rachel for another seven years. Fourteen years. But instead of after the uh, 14th year, he actually gives Rachel in the beginning of this contract. 
So Jacob ultimately gets Rachel. What's going on here? Why, why this deception? Why does Laban deceive Jacob? And why does Leah agree to deceive Jacob? Why the deception? What's happening here? Again, the key idea here is desires. There is a war of desires going on in the life of Jacob. His entire life is a war of desires. Jacob's desire for Rachel. Laban's desire for wealth and profit and money. Leah's desire to be loved and to have a husband. Rachel's desire to have a child. Desires. Church, let me ask you this. Why do we deceive one another? Why do we lie? Why do we cheat? Why do we spin truth? Why do we wrong others? Why do we hurt one another? Why do we do these things? Is it not because we want something and don't get it? Isn't it because we pursue something or someone, but we come up empty? We strive, but we never achieve. We invest, but we see no return. Isn't it because of unmet desires and unfulfilled passions that causes all sorts of troubles, trouble in our relationships? I think about your relationships right now and all the conflict that is there. Isn't it because of unmet desires and unfulfilled passions? This is what James says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Doesn't this capture most of the conflict that we have in our marriages? with our children, with our friendship, even within church community. Conflicts and dysfunction is a product of desires. See, but desires aren't bad. Please don't hear me saying that having desires is sinful. No, but when those desires become the focal point of our lives, where we come to a point we will do whatever it takes to get that thing, that's when it becomes a problem. What we're essentially doing is we're pursuing and looking for a savior in those desires. To be saved from loneliness and singleness. To be saved from a mediocre life. To be saved from shame and guilt. To be saved from discomfort. See, Jacob lost everything. He lost everything. He looks to fill his life and the emptiness inside with Rachel. Laban, wide-eyed, greedy, Wanting money deceives Jacob. Leah believed that having a husband and being loved would maybe compensate for her weak, weak eyes of not being wanted. Rachel, we'll see later on, she felt like if she, if she can just bear a, a son, then my life will have meaning and significance and worth. Friends, what are we relentlessly pursuing after? What are the desires that we are going after? Rigorously pursuing. What are those things? Is it a relationship? Is it a, is it a career? Is it wealth? Is it comfort? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? What is it? What is it that thing you're looking for that you believe, if I can just get a grasp of that, my life will be complete. There will be meaning. 
See, dysfunction and conflict in relationships arise because of unmet desires. So deception then becomes simply a tool. Deception becomes our tool to obtain those desires. However, another, product, another byproduct of our desires is disillusionment. Disillusionment. And this is what we see next in our story. Complete and utter disillusionment. What does it mean for us to be disillusioned? Basically, the meaning is to take away illusions. Right? One author says it this way. Illusions are lovely bubbles, but they cannot and will not withstand the blows of a life in a fallen world. Everyone in our, pa- in our passage has a dream, has a fantasy, an illusion, and almost everyone's bubble gets popped in this, in this narrative. Everyone is disillusioned. Everyone is disappointed. Jacob wakes up wanting to find Rachel, and he finds Leah. Leah ends up getting a husband. Right? Someone that is undesired, unloved, actually gets a husband. What happens? Jacob doesn't love her, disillusioned, disappointed. Rachel eventually gets Jacob as well. But what happens then? She's unable. She's barren. She can't have a child. She's disillusioned, disappointed, discouraged. Seemingly, everybody in this story gets what they want, what they desire. But at the end of the day, what happens? Everyone is disappointed. What is going on here? Why is this happening? See, as uh, our children get older, I have a four-year-old and -and one-and-a-half-year-old, they're getting more and more um, particular about what they want. They know absolutely what they want, right? And as parents, we have to kind of find this balance of grace and just law, right? No, you can't have that. But yes, you can have that. And so Jane and I were were struggling and trying to find this balance of what we're going to permit and what we're just going to totally keep away from them, right? And especially with our four-year-old, he's he's so strong, strong strong-minded and strong-willed, right? Yesterday, we were over at a friend's house, and we got CPK, California Pizza Kitchen, right? And I got my kids uh, a chicken tequila fettuccine, right? And I, myself, like the Kung Pao spaghetti. But the Kung Pao spaghetti is spicy. But my son, being just like his mom, only wants to eat my food, Right? And so as we're, as we're eating around our friend's house, he's like, I want compound spaghetti. I'm like, Deacon, no, it's spicy. He's like, no, over and over again. He's just, you know, just frustrating me. I'm like, Deacon, no, you're, you're not going to like this. It's, it's spicy. But, you know, it kind of looks like sp- spaghetti. So he gets, you know, he wants it. Right? So eventually, actually, I just give in. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, eat it. He starts eating it. And then he is like this, this fear looked in his face. He looks at me. He's like, it's spicy. I'm like, that's what I told you. That's what I told you. Not to eat it. Why do I share this? This this silly illustration. Because I believe God does the same for us. I believe God does the same for us. There are times when God frustrates and blocks our way from a certain desire, a certain pathway. Because he knows if you go down that path, it's not going to go well for you. So don't go. So he blocks it, right? He blocks it because he's trying to save us from pain and suffering. But at the same time, God is not a programmer programming robots. 
if there is something that we're relentlessly pursuing after, that we believe we need this and we want this for my life, God sometimes is going to say, go ahead. He's going to permit it, even though he knows that we'll be disillusioned at the end, disappointed at the end. He will. Go ahead. Go ahead and try. And I believe this is what's happening in our passage. Everyone is, is deceiving one another. They're, they're relentlessly pursuing after something. And for some reason, God gives it to them. Everyone gets what they want. But the, result, the results aren't ideal for everybody. See, if deception is our tool to obtain our desires, disillusionment then is God's tool to expose the weakness of those desires. Let me say that one more time. If deception is our tool to try and get what we desire, disillusionment then is God's tool to expose the weakness of those desires. Saying, hey, it's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to satisfy. You're actually going to feel more empty if you get that thing you think will fulfill and complete you. See, what happened here is everyone lost sight of God in their pursuit of their desires. Everybody lost sight of God. Jacob lost sight of God. Leah lost sight of God. It's, it's unbelievable. Even after this mountaintop experience with God, Jacob pursues after Rachel with not even asking God, can I have her? He takes matters into his own hands. Jacob was so focused on Rachel that Rachel became the primary object of his affections instead of God. Likewise, Leah desperately wanted the love of Jacob but failed to see God's love for her. Do you guys see that? See, what happens next? God, in his loving compassion, knowing that Leah was unloved, unloved. He was, she was unloved by her husband. This is what God does. Genesis 29, 31 through 32. When Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. God opened her womb because God loved Leah. But what does Leah want? Leah wants Jacob's love. Two more times, she has, another, she has two sons, right? In this culture, it's gold. When you produce sons, it's gold. But yet, Jacob still didn't love Leah. And Leah was still looking for Jacob's love. Complete disillusionment. Her hope, her joy was misplaced. It was misplaced in Jacob. And that is why she's discouraged and disappointed, even though she's married, even though she has three sons. Friends, brothers and sisters here, why are we disillusioned? Why are we disillusioned today? See, many of us were disillusioned with our marriages because we thought it was going to be one thing, but it's not. Some of us were disillusioned by our children because they're not performing or behaving the way that we believe. Others of us were disillusioned with our careers and jobs because it's, 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 not, it's not fulfilling and satisfying our lives. There are those of us here that are disillusioned by this community because it's not meeting your needs is not fulfilling your ultimate dreams and desires. 
Could it be that we're looking to these things to save us? Could it be that we're looking to these things to ultimately fill our lives? And in our, delu- in our delusionment, in our disappointment, could it be that God is trying to expose the weakness of those desires, telling us that, you know what? It can't satisfy. You'll actually only be disappointed. And I believe God brings about disillusionment in our lives to point us to the one Savior that can satisfy, and that is Jesus Christ. This is what C.S. Lewis says. God whispers in our pleasure, pleasures, but shouts in our pains. God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pains. Is God shouting in our lives today? with our discouragement, with our disappointment, with our disillusionment. After the fourth son, however, we see a change of tune in Leah. Genesis 29, 35, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I'll praise the Lord. This time I'll praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Right? Leah finally got it. Deception is our tool to attain our desires. Disillusionment is God's tool to expose the weakness of our desires. But in the midst of dysfunction, deception, and disillusionment, God is ultimately working out his divine purpose. His divine purpose. And this is what we're going to close with. Have you ever wondered throughout this whole story of Jacob, why does it seem that God is just okay with everything? Why does God just kind of tacitly, he's like tacitly complicit with all the things that everyone is doing? Right? It kind of seems like, God, where are you at? Why why are you letting letting all this happen? What's going on? And for the most part, he does stay silent. He doesn't intervene. He doesn't prevent people from hurting each other. And so how some some of us, we deal with kind of situations like this or even situations in our own lives when, when people are just hurting each other and we're maybe the victims of hurt, right? What we say is, oh, God's not involved. He can't be involved because God is holy. He doesn't involve himself with sin, corruption. He doesn't involve himself with dysfunction, with deceit. And so some of us, we have this idea that God is kind of removed from our brokenness and our dysfunction. Brothers and sisters, that is not a biblical idea. That is not the God that we worship. The Bible tells us that God uses evil and sins of others to fulfill his perfect plan and purpose. Do you guys know that? That God will use sin to fulfill his perfect purpose. Now, where do I get this from? Classic example is Job. Satan goes to Job. Satan needs permission from God to to afflict Job. Even Satan is under the sovereign rule of God. Our sins, our brokenness, our hurt that we cause to one another. God is not removed from it. I believe God is directly involved in it to fulfill his divine purpose in our lives. Everything that befalls us has to run through the sovereign hands of God. Do you guys know that and believe that? Everything, every relational hardship, every brokenness that you have in your life has to run through God's hand before it gets to us. So your pain, your suffering, your loss isn't meaningless, but it has a divine purpose. 
John Piper says it this way, every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your, uh, second of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. God is doing something in our lives. God is working in your heart. He's working something for your glory and for his through your pain, through your dysfunction, through your relational hardships. See, in all this deception, emotional pain, and suffering in Jacob's life, we see God orchestrating his plan to save humanity. Because Jesus Christ, he'll come. He'll come from the seed of Leah, not Rachel. The unloved one, the unattractive one. The Savior will come from Leah. Do you guys see this? We, we kind of have to take a step back and look at this. All these things that are happening because of deception, Leah's disillusionment. There is a story of redemption here. Because in the middle of it, yeah, we can't see it, but God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to come from Leah's seed, not Rachel. And this is God's divine purpose in all of this, all of these things that are happening in Jacob's life. Brothers and sisters, I know that there are those right now that are hurting. You are, going, you are going through unimaginable pain and hurt. There are those that feel betrayed, used. Many of us have been deceived, even by our own parents. Maybe you see yourself as Jacob waking up to find Leah. Maybe you see yourself as Leah or being, being used as a pawn in, his father, in her father's greed. Or maybe you see yourself as Rachel, unable to have children, unable to get that thing. Could it be, could it be that God allows us, allows all these things to happen to show us his goodness, his love, and his Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God is working out his good purpose, whether we see it or not. And that is what one thing that we can take from the life of Jacob. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, this is what Paul says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond, beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, God is working in our lives to fulfill his ultimate purpose in and through us. Church, let's look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who suffered and bore our sins. He entered into our dysfunction suffered at the hands of sinners, abandoned by his closest friends, betrayed and deceived, and he hung on a cross to restore and renew our brokenness. He will one day make all things new. Whether on this side of heaven or the next, God is going to make our mess into something beautiful. That is what the cross tells us. That is what the cross reminds us of. And that is the hope that we have in the midst of conflict and dysfunction. May we place our hope ultimately in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection. Let me go ahead and pray for us.